Hi, I'm Lane. And I'm Ella. And today we're talking about craft beer. Beer has a long and complicated history. It has been around for thousands of years, shaping trade interactions, acting as both a food and a beverage, and solidifying social groups. To understand the state of beer and of craft brewing today, we have to look back in time. A form of beer was first brewed in China around 10,000 years ago, but the version that eventually became more widespread and evolved into what we would recognize today was developed by the Sumerians and was eventually spread to Egypt and then Greece and Rome through trade. While beer was very popular in Mesopotamia and Egypt, the Greeks and the Romans both viewed it as a lowly drink for so-called barbarians and favored strong wine instead. Beer also quickly became popular farther north in places such as Germany, where the practice of brewing was quickly adopted and then taken over by monks. The Germans integrated beer thoroughly into their culture. A daily beer ration was eventually instituted, and the beverage was considered a necessary part of a balanced diet. While this might sound bizarre today, in a time when food was scarce, beer provided welcome supplemental calories. Beer was very popular among Celtic people as well, in areas that became Britain, France, and Belgium. Until the 14th century, beer was produced largely by monasteries. During the 14th century, though, production shifted away from monasteries and became a more commercial endeavor. As trade began increasing, demand for beer did as well, with facilities such as inns and taverns appearing. While previously it had been mainly consumed at religious festivals, beer was now a commodity to be traded. An important factor in the decline of brewing by monasteries was the fact that parishes were exempt from taxation, while commercial breweries were not. This meant that local governments favored the revenue-generating commercial breweries, allowing them to eventually replace monasteries as major producers. As Europeans colonized places such as Africa and the Americas, they brought the practice of beer brewing and drinking along with them. According to some scholars, migration and foreign direct investment to countries such as Russia, China, and India all contributed to the spread of beer's popularity as well. While globalization meant that beer faced competition from other non-alcoholic beverages, such as tea and coffee, it managed to maintain its popularity, with countries like the UK putting in protectionist measures to ensure that beer production and consumption would remain intact. The result, over time, was global popularity. As of 2005, beer is the most widely consumed alcoholic beverage by volume across the world. Let's shift our focus to the US now. While indigenous people had already been brewing fermented products from maize, beer was introduced by white colonizers. German immigrants in particular had an important role in establishing beer's popularity in the U.S. According to McCullough, a historian whose work centers around beer, quote, they brought new kinds of brewing yeast, they brought different kinds of brewing methods, and suddenly they produced this lager beer, a very light, crisp brew that became very popular with Americans, end quote. Along with this change in type of beer came a shift away from home-brewed beer toward larger, more industrial operations. These were the dominant source of American beer for years, before and after Prohibition. Ironically, we have come full, no. Ironically, we have come full circle now, with craft beer, microbreweries, and homebrews gaining popularity. Ella's going to elaborate more on craft beer now. If we're being technical, we can distinguish craft breweries from macro-scale breweries by the amount of beer they produce by the gallon per year. A craft brewery must produce less than 6 million gallons of beer per year. Any more than that and it is considered a macro-brewery. Macro-brewing has a focus on accumulation of profit and cost-saving through intense negotiations for certain ingredients and grains. And because of this focus, 
they're able to mass-produce cheaper, low-alcohol beers. Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, and Pabst Brewing Company are all companies that are considered macro brewers. Creating the most commonly mass-produced beers that we see in 24 packs in the grocery store. To give some credit to large-scale macro brewers, their products are incredibly consistent. This is because the corporate structure that is consistent inherently allows them to be that way. Craft brewing was created out of a necessity in the U.S. for beers you could only find outside of the States since American beer was, up until the 1970s, prohibited, then highly commodified. Many people found themselves traveling all over the world only to come back to the States and find that the beer there lacked the flavor profiles and quality they experienced everywhere else. Craft breweries mostly use domestic barley malt and hops to mix their product. And depending on the types of malt and hops that are used, the beer will have its own distinct flavor profile. Some craft breweries still swear by German or English malt, or Czech hops, but most have found ways to germinate and dry the barley farmed in places like the Pacific Northwest to create flavors very similar and with equal depth to the ones found abroad. Craft beer gained traction in the 1970s, when homebrewing finally became federally legal in the United States for the first time since Prohibition. After this, craft brewing slowly but surely began to take off commercially. The founding spirit of craft beer was ingenuity and commitment to the craft, no pun intended. One of the first operators of a craft brewery in the U.S., Jack McAuliffe, welded together his dairy equipment himself to create the brewing tanks needed to produce his beer. The genius of a few original craft brewers inspired many, and by 1985, 100 craft breweries were open and operating across the United States. Eleven years later, by 1996, that number had jumped up to a thousand. One very unique thing about craft beer is the industry's focus on diversifying the product and bringing out the true versatile qualities of a lot of the grain and hop varieties used to make beer. By 1982, the then American Home Brewers Association, now Brewers Association, hosted the first great American beer festival. By 1997, 50 different categories were judged at the festival. Most people working in craft beer will pride themselves for how many different types of beer that they produce, because craft beer is about exploration and quality rather than commodification. Craft breweries must also be owned independently, which gives them more legroom to both create more experimental beers and a business model that is well equipped to deal with crises. In 2008, after a fire occurred in Washington state that disrupted the supply chain of hops and storms in Germany disrupted the supply, supply chain of barley, craft brewers modified. Some began producing Belgian beers, while some with more stable import contracts sold their supply of hops to other craft breweries around the country. Craft brewers have a unique support system created by the common hatred of corporate buyout. Since around 2011, macro brewing companies like Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors have begun a new strategy to buy out craft brewers across the country, who present these corporations with their biggest threat to profit. 
This is Jamie Demerit, the Quality Assurance Manager at Ecliptic Brewing in Portland, Oregon, and also my dad. Uh, he has worked in craft beer for 22 years, which is longer than I've been alive, and has quote-unquote poured more beer down the drain than most people will drink in their lives. He's been a judge for the Great American Beer Festival many times and has an incredible eye for detail and a focus on quality. Hi, Dad. Hi, there. Okay. So, ask me what I'm drinking. Yeah, what are you, what drinking? Are you drinking? I'm drinking a Northwest take on a German style. Oh, cool. We're drinking water because we're, we're drinking underage. water because we are 20 years old. <laughs> exactly. Okay. What do you think allows craft breweries to have more variety in the types of beer they produce than larger scale breweries who create very consistent but more or less homogenous products? Uh, I think the main reason is that. Um, the large breweries, like industrial-sized breweries, are specifically designed to make um, the types of beer that they make, so that they have um, huge brew kettles, and they don't have the kind of flexibility that a smaller brewery can set itself up to do. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that this they just cannot make uh, that type of can't make that type of beer okay so it's like kind of a unique strength of craft breweries to be able to like create a lot of variety absolutely cool and they're also not tied to you know producing x volume of this type of beer huh so there's a lot of small breweries have the flexibility to do whatever they want although they have to make a beer that people want to drink but they they have much more flexibility to brew the styles of beer that they, they want to do. Cool. Okay, so moving on, um, what kind of raw materials do you guys usually import for beer? Um, like where from and where does the production of those materials occur? Probably the largest like single raw material that we get from places around the world would be hops. Mm. Because the you know, at the, the certain latitude that hops grow at, that are the ideal growing conditions, are in North America, in the Yakima Valley, Willamette Valley of Oregon, mm. parts of Idaho, parts of California, even like some places in New York grow hops. Oh, super cool. And then that same temperate zone in Europe, which is like Germany and Czech Republic, and then, conversely, in the Southern Hemisphere, a lot of hops, really interesting hops, are coming from Australia and New Zealand. Oh. So, totally different flavors, totally different things you get out of it. So, the craft brewers are really interested in that, um, the flavor and, and aroma aspects of different types of hops. Hmm. Um, malt, barley malt, primarily comes from North America for a North American craft brewer. Either the U.S. or Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know we grow a lot of barley malt in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, my last job, which was a much larger brewery, we were able to, um, you know, depending on, we bought enough malt that depending on the, the trade, you know, the strength of the dollar and if there were tariffs to be paid, we would get it either from the U.S. or from Canada, whichever was cheaper. Okay. That kind of moves on to the next part of the question, which is, like, how do companies modify to accommodate to, like, things like tariffs or import-related problems? 
gear, like on our scale, a lot of times we're kind of tied to the tied to the market, especially like right now the there's an aluminum shortage, so cans. Oh. You know, everybody wants their beers cans. Huh. So it's we're getting cans imported from China right now. Hmm. Wow. And the and the ends, which is the cans cut in two pieces, which is the body of it and the lid. And those are all coming from China right now. Hmm. So you get them the imported US. and then you do you do all the I think I've been to the brewery before. From what I remember, do you guys do all of the production within that building? Or are there any other places that they like make the beer? We only make the beer at our uh, production location. But a lot of processing goes into mm. um, getting hops ready for yeah. for brewing and malting as well. And they malt them differently according to, like, the taste of the beer? Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's a, a, you know, how they, malting involves getting the, the grain from the field and selecting it for the proper size and grade and getting it wet and then allowing it to germinate. So that develops the starches that will eventually become sugars that yeast can metabolize and produce beer. So that all happens at the malt house, and hops are killed, huh. and they're heated and processed. Usually they're shredded and pelletized. That's wow. crazy. It's like pottery. It's crazy. <laughs> they're extremely um, volatile, like very delicate, so you have to get them Just right. specifically packed, um, hermetically sealed, and you have to keep them cold or they'll, they'll degrade and give bad flavors to your beer. Fruit is another interesting commodity product because that's like a we're used to having fruit grown in the U.S. But like when you talk about you do like an apricot beer or mm. a tangerine or something like that, there's like a global oh. market for that. Huh. There's actually like right now there's a global peach shortage. Really? Yeah. So there's different types of markets so have, for like different types of beer. Or different fruits that yeah, go into beer. different fruits mm-hmm. that you would add to a beer. Cool. Um, but the pandemic is just, you know, in all sorts of industries, it's mm-hmm. caused shortages and supply chain backups and stuff. Oh. And we're, we're subject to that as well. Could you maybe elaborate more on how the pandemic has affected production um, and consumption also? We're curious about if you know. Well, we're... You know, a big part of our business is the restaurant that's attached to it. And mm-hmm. obviously, they were shut down for most of the year. Of course. Um, they were doing only takeout for a while. And then we, fortunately, we have a big outdoor seating area. So then we could have people under the awning. Um, so that, you know, that part of the industry is just taking a huge hit. Huh. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of breweries, you know, because they, they have a high amount of draft beer that they sell in bars and restaurants that just dried up so um, breweries that relied on a lot of packaged cans and bottles that was able to take up some of that slack from the draft side every brewery has taken a hit from this so like would you say that the the there's like a disproportionate 
effect on smaller scale breweries rather than larger scale breweries because the larger scale ones have like more of a structure to deal with it i don't know quite the answer to that mm. that's fair um, they, they, both, they both did although i know a lot of the larger craft brewers ended up having to pour a lot of beer down the drain yeah mm, yeah or bring bring kegs back from the trade that they had already sold to distributors and dump those okay and then I guess to finish on like a final quality assurance note, um, <laughs> how do you make sure that a product like stays good quality throughout its journey throughout the supply chain? And like, has the pandemic affected this like focus on quality? Well, you know, quality starts in the production process by getting, you know, good suppliers mm. who can provide you know, good products and, you know, document their manufacturing processes to make sure the products are safe and are in specification, you know, make sure we're following our procedures so that we can have consistency in our products and compliance. Mm. So that makes a big, that makes a big influence out in the trade because we're making beer in its best possible condition to survive. You know, once it leaves your facility it's for the most part out of your direct control mm-hmm. because we have the well in america we have the three tiered system so you you can produce beer but if you want to sell it in retail you have to send it to a distributor mm-hmm. and they yeah. in turn sell it, sell it to the retailer yeah so there's like so, that separation yeah and not everybody especially like our size we don't always have a lot of leverage with the distributor Mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. um, handle the beer, how they, you know, how long they're going to keep it. Um, so you really want to build a good relationship with these people so that if there is an issue, you can go to them and say, Here, here's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you help us out? Our, our size brewery, you know, often we don't buy directly from the, the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So we rely on, we work for a broker huh. that gets a lot of our raw materials. Why is that? Um, we're just too small for mm. a company to deal with. Uh, like we buy our hops directly from the manufacturer, but our malt or cans and things like that, um, we just have to go through a broker mm. to, to get our stuff. And then, then if there's an issue, you have to go through the broker and, um, but other companies work through the broker as well, and then you get, and in that way, you get some leverage and buying power. Oh, I see. Okay. So, like, there's like a smaller scale of competitiveness for craft brewers. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If they're small. Yeah. The interesting thing about distributors is they've, they've gone from like cold storage to everything. Like kegged beer always has to be kept cold. Yeah. Packaged beer is typically not stored cold. Um, It's kept in a controlled environment warehouse. Okay. So it's, you know, kept to a certain temperature. Yeah. Which which is good, I mean, from a sustainability standpoint, it's great because refrigeration is just a huge energy cost for a company and obviously an environmental cost. Oh,
the Cooler Warehouse, which was just a huge cost okay. in terms of our company's bottom line and also just for the environment. Yeah, it's just, I agree. <laughs> so, not the best thing for the beer itself, but also good for the environment. Oh, huh. trade-offs. Lovely. Um, once it gets to the retailer, it's kind of, you know, you don't know what they're doing. It's, you just kind of rely um, sell through. Hopefully, hopefully your beer is really good and people love it, and they snatch it up and drink it right away. <laughs> ah, hopefully, I always see Ecliptic Brewing at Trader Joe's, which I think is cool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, well, that's all of our questions. That's great. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Bye, Dad. Hey. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers and prost and all that. Hi, Ella. Hi, Lane. That was a great conversation with your dad. Yeah, my dad is my dad is pretty cool, and he knows a lot about beer. He knows so much about beer. I don't think I knew there was that much to know about beer. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was the fact that hops only grow at certain latitudes, but that they're yeah. all over the world, like that we have them here and then also in Germany, which makes so much sense. It's like mind-blowing, but in the way where it like, makes perfect sense like it yeah. totally clicks and yet i'd never thought of it because it corresponds with i feel like it corresponds with like all of the places that beer is pretty popular mm-hmm. like like those places in europe like germany and the czech republic and like yeah and then like the exactly. pacific northwest and like colorado mm-hmm. um yeah i completely agree yeah interesting that it's like so tied to climate yeah. Oh, I wonder how climate change is going to affect that in the future. Like, you know how there are regions where wine is produced that are going to become oh. not wine regions anymore? Yeah. Okay, no, because when we were growing hops in the school garden this summer, half of the vine got toasted and roasted and half of the <laughs> vine was healthy. And like, I texted my dad a picture and he said it was still harvestable. And I was wondering why that was, and maybe it's because of the heat. I wonder if, if because the of the climate, heat waves this summer. Yeah, the heat waves this summer. That would kind of make like, sense. Toasted those hops. Wow. Wow. Another thing that I thought was really, really interesting was how craft brewers kind of created their own like domestic import economy in the United States mm-hmm. because after prohibition they had found that like they couldn't have these German and Czech beers in the United States, and so they imported the wheat and they started growing them in the United States and same thing with the hops and the barley and like they kind of ended up creating their own their own niche for it like yeah so they don't like that's why they weren't super affected by like the tariffs on grain was because like they had grain domestically in the United States mm-hmm. that they could trade with each other if they needed right. because they're relatively of their, independent yeah and like yeah because and because of that like independent um company structure they're able to like have a larger support system of other independent breweries which i also think is really cool mm-hmm. what your dad was saying about how there's like a, a peach shortage right now and like how fruit in general is related to craft beer production mm-hmm. um i feel like when i think of beer i don't really think of like relying on fruit but it makes sense like yeah you've shown me beers that his brewery produces and <laughs> I have, yeah. uh-huh. but like since craft breweries use other ingredients, they're like more affected by other supply chains outside of like just 
malt and hops and like yeah, the things like, that are directly connected to beer. Yeah, it's kind of like a give or take, like by having a more stable domestic economy for wheat, they're able to have more variety of flavor in their beers, which includes adding like fruits and things like sours and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like they're in turn affected by other supply chain right. kind of problems, which I thought was really interesting as well really interesting so craft beer what have we learned i think i definitely learned i think that the craft beer uh like company structure is like very unique in the sense that craft breweries need to be independent and so they're able to have a lot more freedom and variety with the things that they're able to produce and so like Mm-hmm. Like, that independence is what makes a craft brewery a craft brewery. Yeah, and, like, they were... T- and my dad was talking about with, like, um, during COVID, and I thought that it was really interesting how, like, craft breweries are better able to support each other than maybe these big conglomerates mm-hmm. during times of crisis, like COVID, because of this, like, independence. And also, like, kind of this inherent... Like I wouldn't collaboration say, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, this, like, sense of collaboration and, like, DIY. And, like, also, not necessarily a dislike of corporate control, but, like, not wanting to be bought out by a bigger company because you care about the craft. And I think that that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for making a podcast with me, Ella. Thanks for making a podcast with me, Lane. Cheers. Cheers. That's our show for today. I'm Ira Glass. (laughs) (laughs) And you're listening to This American Life.